Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your copy of God's Word there if you would. Go with me to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. Now, did your parents ever, did you ever go ask your parents for something? And uh, whatever it was, and basically their reply began like this. Well, if money grew on trees, <laughs> how many of you guys had a parent, you know, or a child, and you, you've said that yourself. We all have said that. And, and what that is, that's code language for forget about it. Whatever you ask for, you ain't getting it. Just forget about it. But what if money did? grow on trees. I dreamed I grew a money tree outside in my yard. My job was to care for it, and I worked very hard. I saw that it was watered. It grew so straight and tall, and when the money ripened, I picked it in the fall. The flowers were green dollar bills. The seeds inside were coins, and others grew and glittered where all the branches joined. On windy days, I stood below and held a great big bucket. Other days, I climbed right up to find one ripe and pluck it. People say that money doesn't really grow on trees. I know. I only wish it did, just like in my dreams. Well, to much to our dismay, money does not grow on trees. Right? It, again, uh, we, we all only have so much to go around, right? Only so much money to go around. Therefore, we must be really wise in how we use it. And there are lots of ways that you and I can use our money wisely, but one of the wisest ways is to worship God with it. To worship God with our money. Now, some people certainly worship their money, right? You, you know people like that? Maybe, let's just be honest, maybe there's someone even here today who worships their money. But God calls us to worship Him with our money. And so when we give a portion of our money to God, we are giving worship. That's the title of this morning's message is Giving Worship. And we're continuing in our series that we're calling Not Mine, But Thine. Not Mine, But Thine with the subtitle Stewarding Our Time, Talent, and Treasure for God's kingdom. And so we've talked about time. We've talked about talent. And today we're going to begin to spend the next five Sundays, including today, talking about the different treasures that God has given us. Now, it's not just money that God has given us as treasure. We're going to see other things in scripture that God has given us as a treasure that we are to steward, that we are to use wisely. Beloved, everything that you have has been given you by God. He's entrusted it to you. He's given it to you, and we are to use it for his glory. That includes our wealth. That includes our money. A wise person gives a portion of their finances back to God as an act of worship. So that's today's truth. Today's truth is simply this. I get to worship God with my wealth, with a portion of wealth. I get to worship God by giving him a portion of my wealth. So the question is, how much? How, how big of a portion? Well, let's turn to Genesis chapter 14. That's where I've invited you to turn this morning. 
to see what God's word says. God's word does not leave this to doubt. And so I want to invite you to go ahead and stand with me if you would. Genesis chapter 14, to honor the reading of the word of God, beginning in the 17th verse there. Genesis 14, beginning in the 17th verse. Here's what God's word says. It says, after Ali and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come this morning. We want to have your will. We want to do with what you've given us what you would have us to do, God. It's yours. And so help us this morning, Lord, to worship you with our finances. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. So before we dive in to this principle that's found here in this passage, we're going to get some context uh, context to, make us, uh, to help us make it all make sense, okay? So the main person that you see here in this historical story is Abram, all right? We know him better by the name that God later changed his name to, which is Abraham, okay? So um, that's what we know him better as. Abram in Hebrew means the father is exalted. That's what Abram means, the father is exalted. And God made a covenant with Abram that he would make him a father of a multitude of nations, a great nation. And as a reminder of that covenant promise, God took that name Abram, the father is exalted, and changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many. And so here in Genesis 14, that name change had not come yet. Abram had been called by God to leave his city, his, his homeland, the, the, the city of Ur, in the Chaldeans, like modern-day Iraq is sort of where he was. And he was to go to the place that God would show him, to the land that God would show him, basically the promised land, okay? Modern-day Israel in that area right there. Well, by this point in the story, in, in the book of Genesis, Abram had arrived. He had taken his family, he had taken his nephew Lot, and all of them had traveled around the Fertile Crescent down to the land of Canaan. It was called Canaan because of the Canaanites who lived there. And by this point, Abraham and Lot had kind of settled there in the Jordan River Valley and had separated. They basically said, we need space, right? God was blessing their families. We need space so that we don't overrun one area. You, you need a little space and I need a little space so that our families can grow and have plenty. And they weren't far from the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, one day, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, as we see here in the, in, in, in the book of Genesis here, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and some other kings, they decided that they were going to attack Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, and some other kings. And so Chedorlaomer and his army came down, defeated them. Sodom was gone, uh, Gomorrah was gone, and the other kings devastated them. And then we read this in Genesis 14, verse 11 and 12. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. So they grabbed up Abram's nephew along with everything else from Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Well, word quickly got back to Abram. He pulled together sort of a militia, an army, so to speak, to go out and to give chase to Shedelamer. He wanted to save Lot, and by God's grace, he was successful. Abram and his forces, they took the enemy by surprise, the Bible says. And they put him on the run. They defeated him. They put him on the run. And Abram, in his victory, he gathered up all the treasure that Chedorlaomer had stolen, all of the people, all of the goods, including Lot, and he headed back home. Now that's where we come to our text. On the way back home, some kings come out to meet Abram. Right? We see here the king of Sodom. Uh, the, the king of Sodom came out to meet Abram, but so did this other king, the king of Salem, whose name was Melchizedek. Now, our text tells us that Melchizedek was not only the king of Salem, but he was also a priest of God Most High, the Bible says. In other words, he worshiped and served the Lord, right? He, he worshiped and served our God, the God of Abraham, the true and living God. And just a quick aside, if you know your Bible, you know that later in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, that God tells us that Jesus Christ is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek here, okay? And so he, Melchizedek, he plays a very important role later on when we think about the theology of Jesus and who he is. But here in Genesis 14, this priest king, Melchizedek, he comes out to meet Abram, and as he makes his way out there, he brings bread. He brings wine. He comes out there as a representative of God to declare blessings over Abram. Look at verse 19 and 20. Here's what Melchizedek said. He said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. Now notice to whom Melchizedek ultimately gives credit. He gives it to God, right? He gives it to God. Bless you, Abraham, for acting valiantly. But glory to God who gave you the victory. God here in this text gets credit for the victory, for regaining the great treasure there, including Lot. Now, I want you to notice what Abram does. Look at verse 20. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Abram gave him a tenth of everything, a mayasir in Hebrew. But in English, the word comes into English as the word tithe. Tithe. The word tithe simply means a tenth, one-tenth, ten percent. Now, why in the world would Abram do this? It was an act of worship. It was an overflow of his heart. He wanted to give back to God because God had provided the victory. And he, in other words, was living out the truth today, today's truth. I get to worship God by giving him a portion of my wealth. And here in Genesis 14, we see what that portion was. It was a tenth of his treasure, a true tithe. And so this morning, y'all, as we think about stewarding God's money, the money that he's entrusted to us, I want to challenge you and me as we think about this to think about tithing. You need to understand one big thing this morning, and this is it when we think about giving, worshiping God with our finances, and it's this. The tithe is the benchmark of worshiping God with our wealth. 
The tithe is the benchmark of worshiping God with our wealth. Now, when I use the word benchmark, here's what I mean by that. I mean, it's the standard by which other things can be measured or judged, okay? The tithe, again, which we got to get this in our brain, a tithe equals 10%. It's the standard by which our giving is measured. Abram, he sets the percentage, doesn't he? Right here in the text. Why did he give 10%? Because that's what his heart wanted to give. But we see it come up again and again, over and over again in the scripture to help us to understand, no, no, this is not just a one-time thing. This is a benchmark. This is God leading the people of Israel and, and leading his leaders of the day to give 10%, to set that standard for us. You see, just a few chapters later, after this here in, in Genesis 14, we go to Genesis 28, verses 18 through 22. And here we read about Abram's grandson, Jacob. Here's what we read. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and, and, and poured out oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and I will give him uh, and will give me bread to eat and clothes to wear so that I may again uh, come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God and this stone, which I've set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of that and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth, a full tenth to you. So guys, there's the tithe. There's that tenth again. Now, some of you will argue Preacher, listen, that, man, that tithing stuff, it, it's old covenant. But the truth of the matter is, is that the old covenant doesn't come in history until Moses. The old covenant, right? It's called the Mosaic covenant for a reason. It comes through Moses to the people of Israel. And so far this morning, we've looked at Abram or Abraham and Jacob. Both of these instances are before the old covenant. Yeah, God is going to take and make giving a tenth of your wealth part of the Old Covenant. He's going to do that. We see this in God's instruction to the people of Israel. We read it in Leviticus 27, verse 30. It says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. God says much later to the nation of Israel in Malachi, several hundred years later, Malachi 3.10, he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and, there, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, some again may say, wait a minute, preacher, man, they're talking about farm produce, not money right here. I mean, let's just get real, guys. This is an agrarian society. It's a, a farmer society. Like Israel in Moses' day and Malachi's day, wealth was primarily measured in land, crops, and livestock. Right? This was their wealth. And so as they gave these things, they were giving of their wealth. But not everybody, particularly when you come into Jesus' day, not everybody was a farmer. Not everybody was a farmer. Some made their living other ways, like most of us do here today. And so they would tithe money instead of those agrarian things, those farmer things. 
So the tithe included money as well. So yes, this morning, the tithe is part of the Old Covenant. But giving a tenth predates the Old Covenant, guys. It was the standard, the benchmark for giving. It was the benchmark before the Old Covenant. And that's why God made it part of the law. You have to understand that, right? The benchmark was already set. And later God says, okay, I'm going to put that as part of the law. It wasn't the other way around. So it predates the Old Covenant. So you have to understand this morning that giving a tenth of your income to God is less about the law and more about worship. It has more to do with worship. A tithe, a tenth, is the biblical benchmark of worshiping God with our wealth. It is the timeless starting point for worshiping God with our finances. And nowhere in the New Testament is that standard overturned. Nowhere. Remember, again, this is the key, that tithing is connected to worship. It's an act of worship, all right? A tenth of your income is the benchmark that God has demonstrated through Scripture. Now, here's the deal. God has given you 100%, right? He's given you 100%, and he asks for at least 10% of it back as an act of worship. Now, here's the sad truth. Here's the sad truth. The average Christian in America gives nowhere near 10%. He or she gives more like 2.5%. That is the average Christian giving in America. 40% of Christians, guys, give absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. So I just wanted this morning, I want to challenge you. Where is your giving at? Strangely, tithing in our common language has, has come to mean basically just give something to God. It's lost the fact that, no, no, a tithe is a 10% gift to God. The standard is shown to us in Scripture, a true tithe. Christian author Randy Alcorn, he once wrote this. He said, you can donate 2%, 4%, or 6%, but you cannot tithe those percentages any more than you can whitewash a wall with red paint. So we need to reestablish in our brains, in our mind, that tithing is 10% percenting. Okay, that's another way to say it. Instead of tithing, we are 10 percenting. Now, some of the more cynical among you very well might say, you very well might say, oh, preacher, you, you must need our money. I don't need your money. Are you kidding me? I don't need your money, and neither does God. God doesn't need your money either, right? You see, God doesn't call you to worship him through the tithe because he needs your money. He doesn't. It's already his. Let's be real. It's already his. No, no. He calls you to tithe because you need to give your money to God. I mean, think about it. God calls you to worship him. Does he need your worship? No. Man, he is perfectly content as he is. He lacks nothing. Why then does he call us to worship him? It's for us. He knows that we need to worship him. And it's the same thing with your money, y'all. He doesn't need it. But he has given you this thing in Scripture, this tithe, this calling to give 
back to him as an act of worship because, because you and I need to worship God with our finances. Listen, Melchizedek, he pointed that out to Abram, didn't he? Didn't he? He said, the Lord, God most high, he gave it to you. And given a tenth back to God, it was an act of worship. It was an act of praise. It was an act of thanksgiving. And that's what it is for you and me. So yeah, listen, when you give to God, yeah, it's going to fund the work of God here on planet Earth. That's true. But more importantly, the tithe is for you. Now the money's given to God, but the act of tithing is for you. It's for your soul so that you might find joy in worshiping God with your finances. Now, beloved, God is not asking every person to give the same amount. Some of you are saying, praise God for that, right? He's not asking for every person to give the same amount, because again, he's not blessed us all in the same way. That's the beauty of the tithe. It's not a fixed amount. It's a standard of percentage. It's a beginning percentage so that we might give generously to God. So that means that God wants us in this tithe to give according to our ability. That's what he wants, to give according to your ability. That means, guys, that that means that, yes, we have different incomes, but again, the person tithing, we're equal in at least that 10% in giving worship to God. So the tithe is God's plan to help you. Give to God according to your Ability. He's not asking every person to give $100,000. He's not. Only those who make a million dollars this year. That's, these are the only ones he's asking to give $100,000. He's not asking every person to give at least $7,000. Only those who make $70,000 this year. He's not asking every person to give at least $500 this year. Only those who make $5,000 this year. So guys, the tithe is God's way of teaching us to give according to our ability. So again, I ask you, where is your giving? Every person in here should be able to say that I am tithing to God. I'm convinced that God says that 10% is the standard and starting point of worshiping God with our wealth. And you may not be there yet. Again, we're just being real here. Or you may not be there yet. Well, pastor, I think what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to work up to 10%. I'll start at 3% and then move up gradually over the years. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to miss that mark that long? Keep in your mind that in Malachi, God equates falling short of the tithe as robbing God. What if I told you that I, 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 normally, I normally rob 12 convenience stores? But this year, I'm only going to rob six. (laughs) What would you say to me? You'd say, listen, man, robbing six is better than robbing 12, but God expects you to rob zero, right? (laughs) Let's apply this to tithing. Giving 5% is better than giving nothing. Praise God that you're giving. But God expects you to freely give at least 10% as an act of worship. And and I would encourage you to get there as quickly as you can. Now, again, I understand that for some of you, that might mean something has to be sacrificed. But I say to you, isn't God worth that sacrifice? 
Hasn't he sacrificed way more for you? Let's be honest, you and I, we've only begun to sacrifice in comparison to what Christ sacrificed for us. Oh, but pastor, listen, I can't afford it. Look at the purchases that you've made and say to God, God, I just can't afford it. I can't afford it. Remember, you're not really giving money. You're giving worship. So I challenge you to try God. Try God and see that if you will not be faithful, if you'll be faithful to steward and to worship God with at least 10% of your money, see if God won't enable you to live on 90% and even increase that 90%. You see, guys, God loves to bless the faithful. And so the tithe is the benchmark of worshiping God with our wealth. And I pray that you will worship God well. So here's the question that comes to my mind coming out of this. Do we have to? Do we have to? In other words, do I have to tithe? And let me just say straight up with you, no. (laughs) You don't have to tithe. You see, you and I, we do not live under the law. So you and I don't, quote unquote, have to. But here's the deal. You and I have been freed from the law of tithing to experience the free will joy of tithing and more. Did Abram have to give 10% of his treasure to Melchizedek? 10% of his treasure to the priest representing God? The answer is no, but he wanted to. See, this is not about law. This is about desire. It's about desire. You and I should want to as an act of worship. We don't have to. We get to. And that's why today's truth is is, is formulated in the way that I formulated it. I get to worship God by giving him a portion of my wealth. And it turns out in Scripture that that beginning portion, that standard, that benchmark that God wants us to get to and then to grow us from, is 10%, is the tithe. Once upon a time, there was a man who had nothing. And so God gave him 10 apples. The first three were for the man to eat. The second three were to trade for shelter. The last three, God said, uh, was to trade for clothing. And so God gave the man nine, and then he gave the man one more. He gave the man the tenth apple so that he might have something to give back to God in gratitude for the other nine. So the man did just as God had told him to. He ate the first three. He traded the second three for shelter and the third uh, third three for clothing. And then he got to that tenth apple, knowing that God wanted him to give it back with a grateful heart to God. But this last apple, it seems so much bigger, so much juicier than all the others. And the man reasoned that, listen, I mean, God already has all the apples in the world anyway. Why does he need my tenth apple? So the man took that tenth apple and he ate it and he gave the core to God. Beloved, Are you that man? God has given you 10 apples. Nine of them to use 
to provide for yourself and your family and to bless others. But one of those apples, God says he wants the full apple given back to him. Are you the one eating the tenth apple and giving God the leftovers? May it never be. May it never be. May you be a tither. May you be a 10 percenter. May you be a worshiper of God who sees giving as an act of worship. Again, you're not just giving money. You're giving worship. Here's my final prayer as the praise team comes. May you faithfully worship God by faithfully giving to God. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And He stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.